You're listening to podcast audio from Radiant Church, located in Bay City, Michigan. For more information on Radiant Church, you can check us out on www.radiantbc.com or follow us on social media at Radiant Bay City. Good morning, Radiant Bay City. How are we doing today? Great to see you. Mothers, we honor you. We love you. Great to be with you, and I hope you gave your mother... Uh, the very best gift you could give her is come to church with her on, on uh, the morning of Sunday, Sunday morning. Sit next to your mom at church, if at all possible. Wonderful uh, to be here. Let me introduce you my uh, wife of 35 years this summer. Becky is right here on the front row. And uh, praise God. We, uh, we've had the privilege of raising four children and uh, have just uh, had quite a ride. We have been in pastoral ministry for over 30 years in Illinois and Minnesota. And about three years ago, Pastor Lee Cummings contacted us and said, uh, hey, Radiant Network, the network of churches that you all are a part of, is growing and I need uh, your help. Would you pray about coming, moving to Kalamazoo and being the director of the Radiant Network of Churches? And uh, we prayed about that. We knew it was God's next assignment for us. So after living in Minnesota, Southeast Minnesota for 30 years, we up and moved to Kalamazoo, Michigan, which is where we live now. And it is our joy to pastor pastors because we love pastors and we help pastors do ministry effectively without losing their own soul in the process. And all of God's people said amen to that because pastors need pastors, don't they? Uh, your pastor, Marco, is a, is a beloved friend of mine. I love what God is doing in him and through him and Carrie. And you are a blessed congregation for having this faithful couple. Yeah, let's celebrate that. And uh, on top of that, that he has the blessing and permission and margin to be away from time to time and to rest and recoup. You know, when I was, uh, Becky and I served one church for 27 years, and uh, I am a, a strong believer in long-term pastorates. Uh, I don't think it's godly that a pastor has to move every three to five years. You just get your feet under you in that amount of time. And so part uh, of being a long-term pastor is having margin, having uh, 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 things that pour into your life because you're constantly giving, and having pillars and faithful people around you to do ministry together. And so that is the way Pastor Marco is building. Uh, he's, he's a wise pastor. And so um, what a joy to be with you today as we come to God's Word. You know, we're living in desperate times, and I could cite for you many statistics about how desperate the times are, politically, morally, ethically. No longer do we live surrounded by an American culture that even agrees with Judeo-Christian values. And we live in a culture that when we stand up and say, yes, I believe the Bible to be true and God's authoritative word, we're scoffed for even saying something like there is absolute truth. We live in a day and a time post-COVID that is very desperate. And you know, God is raising up among the body of Christ people who get it. People who are able to stand with Christ in desperate times, not being overcome by that reality, but who are standing up in love 
conviction and truth saying, there is a king and his name is Jesus and he's inviting you into his ever increasing kingdom. Come join us. And so I'd like to talk to you about deliberate training for desperate times. Are you ready to maybe get into some deliberate training to say yes to Jesus and say, whatever it, you're, it is you're doing in these desperate times that are surrounding us, I want to raise my hand and say, Lord, here I am. Use me. Do you know that there were 12 disciples that Jesus chose? But among those 12, there were three that were uniquely chosen by Jesus to follow him into some unique training because they would face desperate times. And you're all well taught. Pastor Marco has taught you very well. Uh, if I were to ask you the name of those three disciples, I bet you could just right where you're seated, just shout them out. Why don't you tell me, what are their names of the three of the closest disciples of Jesus' 12? Oh, see how well you're taught? Peter, James, and John. And there were, if you read through all four of the Gospels, there were three specific times when Jesus took Peter, James, and John apart from the nine. The, the rest of the nine were not present. He took them and he said, I want to bring you into a unique experience. And this was no accident. Jesus was training Peter, James, and John to be part of his inner circle so that they could go out and be world changers in their unique calling. And so this invitation actually comes to me and you. It does. Because there is a world that needs not just the church as we have known it, but a church that will rise up and say, I am following Jesus wherever he goes. And what I'd like to do in our few moments together is take a high-speed flyover of these three training environments so that we can also extract learning from these unique experiences of Peter, James, and John because these three training environments are the very things that the Lord is setting in his end-time church that we have to be crystal clear on if we are going to be useful for the Lord. Ready to go? Here we go. You know, uh, I was watching a documentary some years ago about how they train the Navy SEALs. And I like watching documentaries, especially about stuff like that. And uh, they were making these guys carry telephone poles into the water and running on the beach and going into the linking arms and like letting the waves come over them, half drowning, and then doing push-ups and all these, uh, you know, amazing feats of strength and training while they said nasty things about their mama. Okay, all of that. But they said, if, you, if you've had enough, if you can't take the training to be a Navy SEAL, just come over here and ring this bell. Ding, ding! And we will usher you off the ground. Your time as a Navy SEAL training will be done. You will not be a, you'll still be in the military, but you won't be in this elite group. Just ring the bell. Do you see the mind game? And guess what? As, as that documentary rolled on, you saw exhausted guys. Guys mentally, physically, emotionally exhausted go over and ring that bell. Take me out of the game. But there were a few. There were the elite that endured all the training and did not ring the bell. 
I look at some of the body of Christ today, and they're ringing the bell, quite honestly. They're saying, yeah, I want to go to heaven. I love Jesus. But I don't know if I'm up for <laughs> the special forces. I don't know if I'm up for that level of training. Let me tell you, in this day and age, friend, the body of Christ has got to be ready. Lean and mean. Not mean in the sense of we're mean people because we're loving people, but we have to be able to say, Lord Jesus, sign me up for whatever it is you need me to do with my one and only life. And so let's visit these three training environments because the Lord is going to use them to speak to you, to train you uniquely. Ready to go? The first environment is the raising of Jairus' daughter. If you have your Bible, Mark chapter 5, starting at verse 21. This is what I call training for power. Peter and James and John were about to have a front row seat to one of the most amazing miracles that anyone will ever see on the face of the earth, the raising of the dead. Now, I've seen God do a lot of amazing things. I've seen him heal. I've seen him do just crazy miracles. I have yet, and I hope to see it one day, I have yet to see someone dead raised to life. Peter, James, and John, their first training. <laughs> okay, you guys, you three, come with me. Here we go. Training to understand the dimension of power. When Jesus had crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake, and one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and place your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Jump down to verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what, Jesus, uh, overhearing what they had said, Jesus told them, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except who? who? What are their names? Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they had came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw the commotion of the people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion? Why the wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. And they laughed at him. I think this is a rather insincere crowd. They go from wailing and crying to laughing. Laughing at the Son of God, who is about to perform one of the greatest miracles this world has ever seen. They laughed at him. And they, <laughs> and he put them all out. It's a good thing because they, they were not the environment to have in the room. And he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him. We know who these were, the three. And they went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this they completely were astonished and he gave strict orders not to tell anyone about this and told uh, them to give her something to eat. So this is unique training that we have to have ingrained in us, that God moves in power even when things look dead, he is able to bring life. 
when things look impossible, when Jesus is in the room, anything can happen. And these three, the special forces, Peter, James, and John, were ushered in to this training of power. This training that it is Jesus who's, who gives life to dead things. Do you know that the raising of the dead here is a parabolic picture of your experience of being born again? Think of your life before Christ saved you. The Bible says we were dead in our transgressions and our sins. We were enemies of God. And when we cross the line of faith and we are born again and the hand of God comes on us, the spirit of God comes into us, by the blood of Christ our sins are taken away and we become children of the Most High God, that is the raising of the dead. And so Peter, James, and John had this unique training. I can believe God to do the impossible. And with that training, they turned the world upside down. Do you know that there's many religious people, even many religious Christians, who don't believe that the power of God is for today? Oh, maybe that happened in biblical times. Oh, maybe just the early church. They call them cessationists. They, they believe that those gifts and those, those spiritual powers have ceased after the completion of Scripture. There's a whole theological framework around how God doesn't move in power today. But not so with God's Navy SEALs. And I believe I'm talking to a church full of God's special forces. You are saying yes to entering into, God, show me your power. And you know what? You're beginning to pray dangerous prayers. Do you know when you get miraculous answers is when you begin to pray for impossible things. You want to see God move? Just start asking him for big things. Uh, go beyond thanking God for the meal that's in front of you. Great prayer, by the way. But as, when was the last time you prayed for something audacious? When was the last time you said, Lord, this person looks impossible, but I'm believing for you to do a miracle of resurrection and bring life from death. When was the last time you stood up in faith and said, I believe that heaven wants to come and touch earth? And it's going to be a demonstration of God's power. Let me tell you, the first dimension of training that the end time church must know something about is this training for power. You know, it says in 2 Timothy 3, 5, that in the last times there will be godlessness on the earth and that some people will have a form of godliness but deny its power a form of godliness, but say, yeah, that power stuff, not for today. I'll believe in the theology. I'll live it out in my head. I'll even say that the Bible is true, but God is not moving in supernatural power today. That is one of the predictive signs of the end times, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. That's not true of you, and it's not true of this church. I think we need a Holy Spirit oil change. 
We do. And we need to say, Lord, <laughs> I might have had my prayers unanswered in the past. I might have been disappointed with you in the past. You know, some Christians stop praying dangerous prayers because they feel like God hasn't answered some of their prayers. Let me tell you, I am so glad that God didn't answer all my prayers with a yes. <laughs> Think about some of the prayers you have prayed. For example, when I was in Bible college, I would have married the wrong girl if God would have answered that prayer with a yes. Thank God it was Becky Jones who was brought into my life. She is God's answer to my prayer. Not the other prayer items, let's just call it that. God has a way of moving in power when we ask him to do audacious things. Peter, James, and John, come on. Come on in this inner room with this dead 12-year-old girl. Come on, follow me. Everyone else, out. Mom and Dad, you follow me too. Peter, James, and John, I want to show you something. Talitha Coombe, little girl, arise. I am the God that strikes power into dead things and brings them to life. I am the God who can raise the dead spiritually as yes, as well as physically. Do you believe that you serve a God of power? Let's go to the next scenario of training. In Matthew chapter 17, we call this training for perspective. At the transfiguration of Jesus, Matthew 17, starting at verse 1, after six days, Jesus took with him who? Peter, James, and John. Here they are, the brother of James. And led them up to a high mountain by themselves. And there he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. And just there, uh, just um, then there appeared before him Moses and Elijah. Now this is amazing. These are two Old Testament figures, prominent figures that the Jews revered, showing up to the the one who is instigating and initiating and inaugurating the new covenant. These two old covenant people show up, speaking of the law and the prophets show up, these two personages start talking to Jesus about his soon departure. Luke's account says what they were talking about. And it, they was talking about his trip to Jerusalem, how he would give his life in Jerusalem. And it was the end game they were talking about. Truly amazing. And Peter, you know, Peter had a big mouth. For those of us in church today who have a propensity to talk before engaging our mind, you're in great company. So Peter starts talking. And he says, oh Lord, it's so good for us to be here. Let us erect three shelters or three tabernacles, three tents right up here on the mountain. One for you, one for Moses, one alive for Elijah. And it's as if the voice of God from heaven had to say, <clears throat> excuse me, Peter, hold your thought. This is God speaking. I know you've got great ideas, but I'm about to clarify your perspective. And what does the voice from heaven say? This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down on the ground, terrified. But Jesus uh, came to them and touched them. Get up, he said. Do not be afraid. Then they looked up and they saw no one except Jesus. 
As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you've seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. There it is again, don't tell anyone. Why? This is a unique training time for Peter, James, and John, and for us training for perspective. What was this perspective? You know, Peter was acting like a typical Jew when he said, the glory of God has come to earth, let's build a tabernacle. After all, that's what the Exodus generation were required to do after receiving the law. God gave them specific instructions about build a tabernacle. Later, the temples followed. But here is the Ark of the Covenant. I will meet with you, build a tabernacle around it. So in Peter's mind, he was doing a very Jewish, godly thing. Let us erect these three tabernacles here for, for Moses, Elijah, and you, Jesus, so that we can hang out together. But that was a very limited perspective. Do you see what I've learned <laughs> is that when, when God shows up and when his glory is thick, we oftentimes have a default to go to the place of our strongest gifting. Or have a default of going to the, the thing that we have historically known. Some laugh, some dance, some prophesy, some teach, some cry, some fall on the floor, some roll around on the floor, some take off running. Whatever your denominational um, history has been, when it gets really good in God, that kind of is our default. Well, let me tell you, across denominational lines, it's got to be, this is my beloved son, listen to him. All eyes on Jesus. You know, the world, the flesh, and the devil are trying to sell the body of Christ a false perspective. Get your eyes on this. This is what it's all about. Yes, love Jesus, but it's really about this political endeavor or this emphasis or this vax or no vax, mask, no mask. We've seen it all. And much of the body of Christ has lost perspective. I've talked to multiple pastors on the phone who Tell me, I cannot believe how some of the key people in my church that I thought were so spiritually mature have totally lost perspective in the last couple of years, gotten their eyes off of the most important thing, and have gone off the rails one way or another. I had one pastor say, I cannot believe they left the church because we ask them to wear a mask for a season in church when we gather. A very s simple thing. Now, this isn't a political statement about masking or not masking. It's way beyond that. It's about spiritual maturity. That if you can be bumped or off course by a small thing like that, where are we, body of Christ? This is why the end time church needs special training for power and for perspective. Now let's visit the, the third training ground. Ready? I love this third training ground because it's unique 
to Peter, James, and John on this third occasion, let's go visit the Garden of Gethsemane. Becky and I have been to the Holy Land on a few occasions. One of my favorite places is to visit the Garden of Gethsemane. This olive grove on the other side of the Kidron Valley, up the hill, across from the western gate of Jerusalem there. How many of you have been to the Holy Land and have visited this place? You know, we should take you all on a Holy Land tour. Let's plan this, okay? Because uh, I'm going to be getting big trouble from Pastor Marco just by saying that. But when you're at the, in the Holy Land, you visit these places, you read the Bible like never before. So I had the privilege of, uh, Becky and I led a group, and when we would go on site to these locations, standing in the Garden of Gethsemane, I read the passage I'm about to read for you, and the most difficult thing was really to hold it together without totally bawling. Because the reality of what took place in this olive grove, Jesus' favorite place to pray, was earth-changing. It was a shift in humanity. What Jesus said yes to there. This became the third training ground for Peter, James, and John. I'm calling it training for preeminent purpose. Let's go. Matthew 26, start at verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. Literally means olive press. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. What was happening? He was leaving the nine. You nine disciples, stay over there. Peter, James, and John with me. He took Peter, James, uh, and John, or he, they're called the sons of Zebedee here, along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and trouble. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed to the point of sorrow and death, point of death, Stay here and keep watch with me. Going just a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them praying, sleeping. Hmm. Couldn't you keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter, watch and pray that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come. The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let's go. Here comes my betrayer. This is the most intense time when the humanity of Jesus is seen. It's here that one of the gospel writers says he was literally under such stress he was sweating drops of blood. And he says to the, the, the Peter, James, and John, those three closest, my soul 
is undone. I feel like I could die. I'm on such, under such intense pressure right now. Look at the humanity of Jesus. The victory was won on Calvary's cross, but it was already set in motion by the yes of the garden. And here in prayer, Jesus is wrestling, and he is, do you know what, you know what Jesus was really about accomplishing was preeminent purpose. It was for this reason I came, Jesus would say, to pay the price for the sins of humanity, to die upon the old rugged cross so that I could redeem humanity back unto myself. And so what he was praying about was how God was through him going to affect his eternal purpose. I love the way Rick Warren says this. In God's eyes, the greatest heroes of faith are not those who achieve prosperity, success, and power in this life, but those who treat life as a temporary assignment and serve faithfully, expecting their promised reward in heaven. This is a heavenly perspective. And Jesus said, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Do you know that it is not a sign of small faith to pray and say, Lord, your will be done? It's actually a sign of great faith <laughs> to pray that. Well, I want to tell God what I want. Well, what if your perspective isn't fully rounded out there? So, it is okay. And the Apostle Paul even prayed this way. If it's God's will, I want to come to you. Jesus prayed it. I want to do your will because I have caught a glimpse of your eternal purpose and where I fit into God's eternal purpose. God's eternal purpose is that strand of divine intention stretched from humanity past to humanity future into which we get to play a role. Mind blown. So when Peter and James and John watched their Savior suffering, praying, wrestling, Jesus was focusing them on preeminent purpose. You know, from a very humanistic standpoint, we can be caught up with, what is my purpose in life? There's many books written about what is my purpose? How can I find and achieve my purpose in life? All well and good, but let me kick it up a few notches because Christians in God's special training for God's special forces, God's Christian Green Berets, there is a higher question. And that question is, what is God's purpose? for me? And how can I discover God's unique purpose for me and come into agreement with God? That's where it gets exciting. See, many times we're caught up with, this is my purpose and God, I'm going to pray that you bless it. Young people, under the sound of my voice, please hear me. You are making some important decisions in the next 10 years. You're deciding where you're going to go to college, who you're going to marry, your occupation, where you're going to live, some major decisions in your life. Into each of those, invite the wisdom of God. Bring God. Say, God, what is your purpose for me? 
Make it a matter of prayer. And moms and dads with little boys and little girls in your home, guess what? Start doing what Becky and I did. Start praying for their future spouse. I said, receiving Christ is the most important decision of your life. You know what the second one is? Who you're going to marry. Let's start praying that God, I want to serve your purpose. So actually, where I go to college, who I marry, all these different major important decisions are not about what I want. See, what Adam and Eve lost in the garden, they lost it because they said, my will be done. Jesus taught us to pray, thy will be done. And middle-aged people, people who have some experience under your belt, don't get your purpose lost by chasing the elusive American dream. I've done so many funerals as a pastor. Not once in one funeral did I say what their bank account was, what their 401k had grown to, what size house they lived in. Not once did I say any of those things, but I said, this is how this person heard the call of God for their unique time. They served God's purpose in their own generation before they died. And this is what we're holding up because at funerals, the veil between heaven and earth is the thinnest. And people see and consult, they consider eternal realities uh, the most weighty at funeral services. And that's the time as a pastor when I like to to take people from just natural living to the Garden of Gethsemane so that they can have preeminent purpose pulsating within their heart. That I'm not here to serve my will. I'm here to serve God's will in the small decisions as well as the big decisions. Preeminent purpose, so huge. And what a great compliment was given to, to King David even in the New Testament, when, when uh, we read about in Acts 13, 36, now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he died and he was buried with his ancestors. One of the greatest compliments you can give me, as a matter of fact, my epitaph on my tombstone should read, here lies Sonny Mazar, he served God's purpose in his generation. What more can be said? Uh, that, uh, of any one of us than that. So come with Peter, James, and John to these three environments of unique training, power, training that God is still moving in great power in your life. God raises the dead physically as well as spiritually. Perspective, that no longer are you going to be caught up with false uh, end wins, but you're going to say the, the main thing is keeping the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is Jesus. And I will serve God's preeminent purpose. The thing that Jesus said yes to in the Garden of Gethsemane, I'm going to say yes to, to God. Whatever your purpose and will is, uh, during my life, we only have a short life. But during my 70, 80, 90 years, however long, uh, which is just a, a sliver in human history, I want to serve something higher than myself. And at the end of my days, I want to be among those who have been trained 
to live in desperate times, not overcome by the world, but overcoming the world. Friends, the body of Christ needs us to be those kind of Christians filled with love for God and love for others, taken up with God's cause on earth, realizing that eternal matters matter for eternity. So what's the story about how Peter, James, and John ended their life? Now, you see a tremendous transformation in these three. Peter, he went from being an impulsive, overconfident, sword-swinging warrior to a spirit-filled preacher on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 people were saved and baptized, added to the church, Acts chapter 2. He became a biblical author, First and Second Peter, and a pillar of the early church. That's Peter. How about these two young fishermen, James and John? James went from being a self-serving supremacist who wanted to call fire down from heaven to consume the non-believers of Samaria, literally wanted to do it. He, okay, they're not treating you right, Jesus. We'll, we'll fry them. He was so transformed into a suffering servant. Did you know that James the disciple was the first of the disciples to be martyred? And then John, who's known as the beloved disciple, he went from being one of the young sons of thunder, as Jesus called them, to the longest living disciple who became imprisoned by the Roman government on the Isle of Patmos. There he saw a revelation of the risen Christ in all of his glory. He was a biblical writer. He wrote five books of the New Testament and he was charged with the care of Jesus' mother Mary so also your life is being transformed into special use. I want to encourage you because some of you, I know it, you're here and saying, well, you don't know me. I, I'm not a great Christian. I, I don't pray very well. Sometimes I don't read my Bible. I've committed a lot of sin in my life. But you know what I know? God's the God who raises the dead. You know what else I know? Peter, James, and John fell asleep in the garden three times when they were told to pray. Hey, that's a real great example, isn't it? Hey, if you've ever fallen asleep during prayer, take heart, you're in good company. I want to just prophetically say over you that you are not disqualified. Our redeeming God says, come on, I know your frailty. In all of your, your humanity, come on, come into this level of special training. Let's, let's go. Peter, James, and John, and then put your name in there. Come on with me. And you will experience some things that will change your life to make you an effective disciple on earth, in this region. Why? Because Bay City and the surrounding towns need to see radical, loving Jesus followers. They've seen enough of dead religion. They've seen enough of religiosity. They need to see people whose hearts are on fire with the eternal purpose of God.
and that's you. Let's stand together. And prayer team members, if you would come down to the front, we're going to close out and we're going to pray. But we would specifically like to pray for you if you have a prayer need. Maybe it's something that the, Lord, the Holy Spirit is challenging you on. So the people coming forward are here to pray with you to agree in prayer. Maybe there are some other things that have taken you off of that track of training that we've been talking about that you just need to leave right here at the altar. In just a minute, you're, most of us are gonna be leaving, but if you want prayer, come against the flow and come down here and say to, we're not gonna keep you long, but these prayer warriors know how to touch God and they're simply gonna pray for you and agree for God's plan and purpose to be fulfilled in your life. And some of you, I just am hearing from the Holy Spirit right now, some of you are wrestling with doing God's will or doing your own will, and you're wrestling with making a decision based on natural reasoning, natural reasoning versus what you really feel in your heart God's telling you to do. God's brought me all the way from Kalamazoo to tell you, take God's way take the special forces way take the high training way and come on pray pray with us as you say yes to god and we will agree in prayer with you now father i thank you for this great church thank you for pastor marco and carrie and how how they're you're just using them to to lead wisely to to lead and, and make disciples people who say yes to you who are continual learners of you who sit at your feet who love you, who obey you. So I pray your blessing upon this great church and upon everyone who's here, even those watching online, Lord, that you would lead us to say yes to you and follow you to know you better. In Jesus' name, we thank you. And everyone said, amen.